Welcome to the Common Ground Podcast by Very Temporary, a podcast where we seek to develop a foundation of mutual understanding on a wide variety of topics relevant to our time. I'm Niaku Boyduku, and today with me I have Elikem Tamaklo. And I'm William Itin. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about entrepreneurship and the audacity of the youth in enterprise with our special guest in the person of Dola Ikomi, a Nigerian fashion entrepreneur who has held marketing positions in companies like Accenture in Boston and New York. She also happens to be a very cherished member of Very Temporary. She will tell us more about her company as well as her decision to move back home from the States. She'll be joining us today in offering some on the ground context for the topic we'll be discussing. So, Dola, could you tell us a bit about Irawo Studio and your decision to move back to Nigeria? Yes, definitely. So, Irawo Studio is a fam- is my family's fashion brand. It was birthed to life in 2017 after I just had graduated from university. One thing you know about me, you can ask all my friends, I'm really into fashion. I'm really into, like, your personal style. I believe that, you know, the clothes you wear is a way for you to express who you are without really needing to like talk too much. So everyone in my family were really all into fashion and everything. So it's a family business. It actually was originally called House of Irawo. Irawo means stars in Yoruba. At first we were, our mission was just really to make our clothes really unique and, you know, just for you to shine and everything. But now we are actually rebranded because we wanted to modernize the brand while still sticking towards our roots. So that's why we're now called Irawo Studio. And I'm basically the CEO and the brand marketer. So I make sure to pos- to position the brand in the, the, the direction we really want to go, which is the global markets, you know, and conquer. And a bit about uh, why you decided to move back to Nigeria. <laughs> yes, that part. So I moved back to Nigeria. Essentially, I was living in New York and I had a nine to five working at a digital agency. And I felt that I had just basically uh, not a full 360 understanding of what it means to actually run a business in Nigeria. And I moved back because I felt that I was, I'll be able to basically use what I've learned in my corporate experience and basically use that to just improve my business. And also just understand how it is to basically work as an adult, bring back home and, you know, learn through the challenges and also work on the successes at the same time and the victories. Okay, some some background then. Uh, what would you guys feel best describes the general state of entrepreneurship in Africa? I mean, anyone can respond to this, but where do we feel entrepreneurship in Africa, specifically maybe West Africa or anywhere in Africa is now? I could, uh, I could start and let's offer a little bit here. Um, entrepreneurship in Africa is big and rapidly growing. Uh, we've seen that over the years with a lot of African nations uh, remaining at the top um, of countries with the fastest economic growth or the highest economic growth um, year on year. And we're talking places like Ghana, we're talking South Africa, we're talking Ethiopia. Um, and a lot of these countries, what they have in common is they have a huge uh, youth base. I'm talking the proportion of the, 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 the population that is, you know, young is very big. In Ghana, for example, um, 90% of the population is 55 and below. So that's a huge potential um, for economic activity, for innovation 
um, and entrepreneurship as well. Um, so obviously potential is one thing and actual businesses coming up, actual enterprise is another thing. But I guess we'll, we'll talk more about it. But anyone else can sort of give their general state of what entrepreneurship is in Africa. I generally feel like there's, there's definitely a push because, I mean, entrepreneurship is kind of birthed from a, a certain kind of necessity. People become entrepreneurial to solve a certain problem. And, um, you know, Africa is home and we all love it. But I think it's quite clear that it's one of the places on earth that has the most unsolved problems, um, to put it lightly. So if you combine a youthful population with a place that has a plethora of problems, I think you have a good recipe for high entrepreneurial activity. And that might be what we are seeing play out now. But what, what seems to be happening now is that these kind of um, entrepreneurial activities are see, seem to be picked up more and more by the youth because there's some of these problems could be solved by bigger corporations, multinationals, etc. But what you have now is uh, a, certain, a new breed of bold young individuals who are, um, are willing to take on some of these challenges and, and solve these problems. Um, but before we dive further, can we generally, what, what would we define as, as young people in Africa? What, what, what bracket would we say that, that, that is? Uh, I think we can even use the range from about, uh, 20 to, you know, thirties, early thirties, mostly the millennials and the post millennials is where about what I think people who yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. in a position in their lives where they've come, they, they have a potentially have maybe academic uh, credentials, but they need some form of either financial freedom or a way to like express themselves or fulfill themselves. And they are like in charge of their lives at the moment. Yeah, I can agree what, with that. Yeah. I can agree with what that. Things do we think, what things do we think are pushing young people to generally be more entrepreneurial and to kind of develop businesses for themselves instead of waiting to, you know, or instead of going the nine to five route or, or whatever, what do we think is contributing to that? I would say first, it's on top of like, just craving your own independence, but you know, we are in such a, like a fast paced society now. And we know that this is a time really to really establish ourselves. And I just think there's been a collective body of just this empowerment of really you see, a, you see a startup, and before, I feel like maybe 10 years ago, you see a lot of young people starting up a new idea. They're like, oh, you know, these people don't know what they're doing. They don't have the expertise and all of that. But young people are, the youth are now like moving past that whole, okay, you need the expertise. Rather, it's more of just learn the expertise as long as you're, as long as you're actually like doing that. And that's like inspiring other people to really just not only just have their dreams being like written down in their journal or whatever. They're just, there's just more, there's just this action of just like doing it, like just Nike, like just doing it. And like, for me, entrepreneurship also, it's like, what type of entrepreneurship? Are we talking like the creative outlet? Are we talking the tech outlet? Like, I feel like there's just so many different layers that goes into it. For me personally, since I'm in the more of the creative world and the fashion world, I would just say that really like fashion, photography, you know, all those things, art and all those ways, like musicians and all of that, like art has always just been an innate part of being African. And now obviously there's now a global perception of, okay, we actually think you guys have always been on, but now you guys are really, really putting us on and people, this is really the time to really like really, really milk it. So I think this is, it's really great to see what has been happening with like the youth of Africa and just this cultural renaissance that's been happening. 
interestingly enough, also, another reason why I feel there's a lot more entrepreneurial activity is because you take a place like Africa with such a vibrant youth, the, yeah. the pipeline to maybe a regular job or a nine to five really, really isn't there. So it's almost like you you kind of have to carve out your own opportunity. Like you, you can't go the regular route of you graduate college or uni here and there's some opportunity waiting for you here somewhere. Yeah, the job market is limited. Exactly. And in this part yeah. of the world, I mean, if we're being honest, if you are not um, from an affluent background or have certain connections, it's very mm -hmm. hard to get a well-paying job or something that can sustain oh, yeah. you at, at the level that you want to. So at that point, your own option, your only option is to kind of start something yourself or find a problem that you feel like you or you can be very good at solving, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I take it from there. I agree. Yeah, honestly, it's interesting, Dola, that you mentioned like the tech entrepreneurship as well. Because being in tech, one thing I've also noticed mm -hmm. is the world has gotten a bit closer in terms of what you need to do to say maybe make an app. Before, if you wanted to maybe start a factory or something, you need a lot of infrastructure and initial capital. But with something like uh, most applications that we have right now, somebody can develop them from their, you know, from their garage or from their room. And with YouTube and stuff, anyone can learn it. And as you're saying, like, you can just do it because even the information is out there. And so I think it's giving people more confidence and skills to be able to do things. Because to work as, as you were saying, William, like a nine to five as um with software engineering credentials in Ghana, you are going to be part of the IT boys, right? So that's how people would, would describe you, the IT guys. So it makes much more sense to, you know, find some independence and try to solve a problem while you're at it, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, just like what William was saying, uh, entrepreneurship in this case is, is born from necessity more than anything else. And uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And now that we've covered the sort of why they get into businesses or why they get into entrepreneurship, we should sort of look at the how. The how is an interesting one because yeah. that, that essentially opens the door to the conversation about the hindrances because the how is something young entrepreneurs in Africa are trying to figure out every day. Like it's Presently. not a solved, yeah, it's not a solved um, problem. The how, is, the how is the entrepreneurship, <laughs> actually. Like the, the figuring out how, is the, that's the whole entrepreneurship aspect of it. Trying to hack the system, find ways to accomplish what you need to do. Okay, so you need to start a business. What is the easiest way I can get promotion um, or promote this this venture that I'm doing? Uh, we live in a social media era now, and the quote unquote youth of today are more are more privy to the techniques that social media has afforded us in order to get your message out there and attract attract your intended audience. So the how is it's really a combination because. That, that really highlights the difficulty. The how is how to find funding to, to fund your venture. The how is how to get the word out. Um, the how is how to solve the problem effectively in such a way that it's sustainable. Uh, the, I feel like the how really is the entrepreneurship aspect of it. So um, it's very hard to really grasp that and, and, and see this is how people are doing it. But I think in general, what we can see is people are trying to find more cost-effective and more sustainable ways to solve things in, in in ways that perhaps might not have been as obvious or as easy beforehand. Definitely. Because there are, there are definitely more newer tools available now. And um, the hindrances, I mean, we can go on and on about that. Some of the biggest hindrances to young entrepreneurs in Africa is number one, funding. 
number two funding. <laughs> like, so it goes back to yeah. that. But the, re- the reason I don't like to dwell on that is because you hear many, many um, seasoned entrepreneurs say funding is never really the real issue. Even though I, I, I still like to maintain that it's a big part of it. But most people say serious entrepreneurs who find a way to at least get the ball rolling with whatever resources they have. So I don't know. It's, it, it is a hindrance, but I don't know to the extent in which you can, you know, if that's a point that you can dwell on excessively. Yeah. I, I no, Nico. Oh, I was actually about to put a question to you and ask you, like, since you've now been in uh, Nigeria for some time, what are some of the hindrances that you, you have noticed being that are maybe particular to Nigeria, but you can also talk about it generally as well? Definitely. First, I want to also respond to Ellie Kim's question about the how. I also would say that the, one of the reasons I would say is that's really helping the youth in Africa in general is that we're more open to collaboration. We're more, we're more open to, thanks to social media, it's really easy to really connect with someone. They don't even have to be in the same area as you. You have the same like-minded like idea. And I think we're really skilled at like bringing together a team easily that has different components, different strengths, and really bringing an idea from, you know, just an idea to like executing, executing it to make it a reality. So I think that's something that's a bit different than um, the past generation. It was more of just, okay, you have your idea, you know, you're kind of private about it until like you're about to just, you know, explode with business and success. But like, we are more about collaborating. Like I would say even in my own field within fashion and creativity, you, anyone can almost like anyone can start a business, right? It might be a fashion business. It might be a photography agency or whatever, but generally what can help you grow is because, okay, a lot of these people may also not have a lot of funding, right? But they'll work together literally to just make a really amazing work of art and they really will just collaborate together. That one person might have the camera, the other person might have the clothes. They come together, they get a stylist. No one is paying each other, but like they just want their vision to then be displayed onto social media in the hopes of maybe just gaining some form of traction and attention. So when it comes to businesses, like running a business in Nigeria, definitely funding. Another thing for me is actually just like electricity, NEPA, paying for diesel. Like, I mean, going back to it, I'm, I'm also glad you brought up the thing with like just something as basic, quote unquote, as stable power, because we are talking about entrepreneurship in the context of Africa. Majority of Africa is underdeveloped. That means certain structures are not as defined as they would be in the Western world, where an entrepreneur has quick and easy access to capital, stable power, supply, um, reliable internet connection, all these kind of utilities that en- enable businesses to, to, to thrive. So it's, 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 it's very strange because you almost have to work around it. And so just being an entrepreneur here, half the time you're trying to figure out how the system even works, if there's even a system and how to take advantage of it. Exactly, and, and how to make your business grow. Exactly, and sometimes just, there could be some simple things, you know, in Ghana, for instance, the, the, the work ethic of some of the people you might engage might not be up to par, the, the oh, work culture might not be as, as, as mature enough to get the things that you want to do. So Finding good talent yeah, is hard. Exactly, exactly. It's so hard. finding, finding a, a, a reliable set of, utilities and, and individuals to kind of complement your, your venture and load of stuff is part of the difficulty of being an entrepreneur and entrepreneur here definitely i would say the turnover rates running a business back home is very high because 
you know, you have a certain level of how you want your business to work and operate, but then, you know, the work ethic is not, it's just not there. But then I remember I would, move, when I just moved back, I'd be like, I'll speak to, you know, I work with my mom a lot. She's a creative director. And I just like, let's get rid of this guy. Like, he's not doing his job right. Let's just get rid of him. And she's like, do you know how much, do you know how hard it is to find someone else who can maybe do his skill set level and we can get him like maybe like yeah, next week the, the yes exactly. so you it's just kind of like manage sometimes but like it's like i'd rather not manage but then you just there's not a level but, of outsourcing but, you know but even with all these issues i still mm. feel and see that young people of today are just generally bored like everyone is oh trying, yeah everyone's trying to get it and what yeah. do you think is what do you think is fueling that like people just seem more bold and audacious to just grab grab the opportunities you see so many young people venturing into certain creative fields who are like um really really confident enough to express their artistry and what do you think is driving that boldness it's like it seems people are not really trying to be defined by the, the historical events of what has happened in this continent are just trying to come mm -hmm. with bold fresh new ideas and and, and go for it what why, why why do we think that is well one one thing i wanted to bring that but also mentioned earlier was like social media and it's being able to help people collaborate more yeah aside from even just the collaborating more i think the exposure having like global exposure in our pockets has really had a huge impact on, on on many of us because the things that you may otherwise have to have traveled to see or to to know that oh people can do things this way or like this is not normal in this country or you know just seeing the different perspectives that exists all over i think people are less comfortable with you know a status quo when it doesn't save mm -hmm. them well and and that's probably one of the reasons why we are, we are no longer trusting just what the old people are saying and are wanting to you know try it out for ourselves to see and social media seems to also be a huge source of inspiration. Let's say you're, oh, an, yeah. you're yeah, you're an artist in 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 in, in Togo. And you, you 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 just scroll on and you see how other artists are expressing themselves at a set such a high level. This is exposure that did not exist maybe X amount of years ago. So people yeah. are more motivated by just knowing what can what is possible, and also yes, coming from definitely. a place where there's exactly there's so much lack that you see any any bit of inspiration could really be all the fuel you need to go the distance so i mean i just feel like everyone is just more bold now and everyone's trying to get it yeah no there's this energy of like yo if, if he can get her he or she can get it like why not i and you know social media it's like while it can i definitely don't think i don't condone like comparison but definitely it can help you get inspired to see what others are doing and that can make you also get really inspired to work on your journey and work on your craft. And also I would say, as corny as it may sound, like more people are also just, we as Africans, we've always been like proud of who we are, our culture and everything. But now that also the Western world is also taking notes a lot more, I think people are also taking a, like not advantage, but really just are even expressing themselves even more, which I think is actually a very beautiful story to happen. Like I was thinking just about, burner boy for example like i i remember i was watching i went to like a christmas party like 2012 or 2014 and he was performing and like i've always been a burner boy fan and i remember he got a lot of heat because for like coachella i remember he had like his name was like in the bottom and he was like how can you you know put me in the bottom of the list in coachella like i'm an african giant and people were insulting him saying you should be grateful you're even on this platform but look at him now, you know, a year and a half later, like he's stuck with who, 
while he, while some people might not really condone some of his actions or whatever, but he stuck with being proud of like who he is and not changing when he gets he got success with the Western world. And I think that's just so important that even if you're getting recognition and everything, you're still bringing it back to where you were raised. I'm, I'm glad you, you know? brought that up because I feel like one other one other motivation for um, young Africans to get it is because we see there's some light being um, shone on, on on Africa now, and there's this there's this incessant need to be able to at least control the narrative because you don't want the narrative to be hijacked by people are, who are now getting hip to what Africa can be. So you have you have a lot of I mean, for me, part of my motivation is 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 in anything I do here is just listen. There's a lot of activity here. Majority of the growth, Africa is the last frontier on earth for massive economic growth. And young Africans know that. And they know that they need to get a piece of it and they need to apply themselves. So that is also part of the motivation, knowing that, hey, it's go time. People are starting to realize what's going on here. I've been here for a while. I need to get a, be a part of this. I need to be able to control the narrative. And that's what people like Bernard Boy are trying to do, being able to control the narrative and have be able to tell our own stories. Because for, for the longest time, Africa has had a story told for, for it, and it hasn't been able to quote, By others, true. speak for herself, you know. So um, now is now's the time. And as any young entrepreneur will tell you, they, they want to be able to, to kind of add an authentic um, tone to the activity so that it, 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 it really represents the people. So I think that's another big motivation. Just wanted, wanted to control the narrative so that it's not hijacked. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you and Dola have said, William, about the hindrances being like with the capital markets and human capital, and even like the facilities and resources in the country, like utility, water, and all that stuff. Imagine like having to run an ice cream business when your lights are off every single day, right? Uh, but you also talked about the pros, which are like collaboration. And I see that a lot in like the Afrobeat scene, how people are collaborating more and how like the art is reaching, you know, the, the globe and you know and over and you talked about the exposure they're getting and the inspiration uh you also said something very uh profound you talked about like the the innovation aspect of things and i'd like to speak on this as well that you know as like a reason why africans are bold like african youth is more audacious and i think before william had coined or given a definition of design being art around uh, boundaries or art around restrictions. It's almost like the more constraints you have, the more creative you have to be. And so Africa is a place where there are a lot of constraints, there are a lot of issues that are, that are there, there are a lot of hurdles that you have to go, go over. So it's like for you to be able to actually start a business and run it successfully, you must have been super creative. And that only lends to more success. And so I think that whole innovation design aspect of any business, because a business is an art, right, is what really leads or contributes to the um, audacity of the African youth. And me over to you. Yeah, that's actually that's actually uh, dope. I was thinking of uh, almost. I mean, creativity can be used for both good and bad. So, but I was thinking of like even four one nine when when you said that because I remember dollar <laughs> like like a Twitter post that I I really love that uh, <laughs> about you know some Nigerian explaining how you know four one nine like fraud for those who don't know became you know his his um 
his job sort of right and it seemed like really trying to like wriggle his way around the constraints that already exist in finding financial freedom in in a place like nigeria it's not that i condone it but what you said actually reminded me of that but i also wanted to refer back to something that dollar and william both said which reminds me of even the fact that like africa is pretty young still in terms of being able to tell our own story as william was saying like ghana is only 63 years old and so our parents were probably alive in a time where like owning so much as an african and you know being bold and all of that was probably very new so it, it yeah, almost is new responsibility on us to okay now what's the story of africa because if we don't tell it then who's going to tell it and it, it's kind of exonerating to some extent you know the older people from from it because i guess maybe they couldn't have helped it i don't know that's true i mean that we are more or less like um the legacy of everything that has happened and i feel like africans of today have so much more historical knowledge than before and are becoming more and more um quote-unquote aware of 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 everything that has happened and you know they say to know where you go you're going you have to know where you've been more africans are starting to come hip to what really took place on this continent and because you know for the most part a lot of us were not really taught actual african history but the more you actually learn about what the history of Africans, you get quite inspired because we are a group of people that uh, there's a lot to be proud of to be an African, to be honest. Um, there have been some some unfortunate, deeply unfortunate events that have occurred. But the, the, the definition and identity of an African is, is much wider than that. And it's something that most young Africans were not really, have not really been aware of. And the more and more we, we get, I mean, there's a whole wave going on now, you know, toss uh, Baroness, uh, previous album African died in with what Beyonce just dropped. And there's like a whole renaissance of African identity and blackness that people are becoming more and more proud of. And it's, it's, it's inspiring people to want to make more moves to, 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 to lift up their society and make, make Africans as the people have the respect that they want. And I see a lot of entrepreneurial activities also being based around that like people are trying to like should i yeah like we do we did like yeah trying to represent and it's it, that's a motivation that i think is powerful because it's a motivation that is not as individualistic and it's more an attempt to make your whole group of people more proud of who they are and um also to show that we can solve our own problems because like we said earlier in the conversation um entrepreneurship is based of trying to solve a problem and, you know, they say necessity is the mother of all invention. There are a lot of things that are needed here. And what would make a people more proud than being able to solve these problems for themselves? And um, for me, that's one of the most noble motivations to be an entrepreneur in Africa. Seeing a problem that you know you are not going to wait for those in the West to solve for you. And Africa has an abundance of those kind of problems. So there's, there's, there's so many things that one can throw themselves into. And once you tie that in with the knowledge of our history and knowledge of where we can go, most imp more importantly, and uh, in order to kind of regain the dignity that we, we, we deserve on this on this uh, on this planet and on this continent, more specifically, it, it gives you that that shot in the arm to to go the distance, really. Definitely, William. You said something that I really liked about how we're not waiting, basically, for the West to solve solutions. I also think the movement of like supporting black owned businesses and just having that notion of like 
that I think at first it was almost like, oh, you know, it's a black owned business. That's great. There's this new wave, but like people are actually really taking black owned businesses a lot more seriously yeah, not, and they're breaking waves. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just a trend. I think that's just the whole part of it as well. And I think it, it's really, really important. Like there's this Instagram page that Beyonce's style is made. Um, and it basically just showcases black owned businesses, you know, and the bio is like for when the trend ends. Cause you know, obviously during this time of the pandemic and quarantine, all of that, people were really folk, really vocal about supporting black owned businesses and really like support like local owned businesses, et cetera. And I just think there's just more pride and people are really, we are really collectively just showing more support to ourselves, the support that we needed from the beginning and not just feeling that we need to be recognized by maybe Western institutions that have been around forever. You know, it's just the new wave. It's the new, new that's finally being embraced. And me, I, I really love this new like Pan-African wave that's coming with it, to be honest. Yes. It's very dope. So I, uh, I definitely agree with what you guys are saying, um, especially about the whole, when I'm waiting for the West to offer solutions. Um, we've definitely seen in the past and also more recently, uh, the reverse trend of trickle down innovation, right? And I, I keep using this example because I'm, I'm, I'm just enamored by it. But M-Pesa, right? Think about a continent where people are, were still stuffing money un, under their mattresses and whatnot. Like the banks were looking, you know, to uh, bring on a lot of the unbanked and underbanked. And then you have a country or a group that makes M-Pesa, which basically goes from stuffing mon uh, money under your mattress to mobile money, skipping almost completely the use of like cards, right? And that's true innovation. I mean, the States is just getting to that, you know, places in Europe just got to that. But that ha happens to be one of the biggest drivers of like transactions, you know, in, in, on the continent, you know, it transformed into like mobile money with the telecommunication companies and all that stuff. And that is trickle up innovation to me. That is an example of what you guys are saying, and it could not be highlighted more uh, than with Impesa. One thing that's inspiring about Impesa is that's like an African solution to an African problem. We didn't just try and import how they were solving these fintech issues, these financial inclusion issues um, in the West. Like you develop a whole new um, a way of doing it that is tailored to the people here. And, that's my favorite flavor of entrepreneurship, African entrepreneurship. Really thinking from the fundamentals of how to incorporate this into the society that here that is here now, not trying to bring something that worked some in some foreign land here. And that's why exactly I'm, I'm a big exactly that's why I'm a big supporter of African entrepreneurship, indigenous African entrepreneurship. Because you are coming once you understand the people, it's better to it's much easier to craft a solution to that problem. That's not to say that um, some ideas from outside would not work, that they definitely certainly could, but it would not be as effective without combining the knowledge of indigenous Africans who understand the situation and know how to tailor that, that problem to here. So once, once um, the entrepreneurs here have that kind of drive, it results in much better solutions to whatever problem they're trying to solve. I agree a hundred percent. And uh, this naturally leads to the next point. Uh, what are some of the cultural hindrances, right, to entrepreneurial success uh, for the youth in Africa? Because I know there's some stuff like economics and whatnot that um, hinder the success. But what are some of the cultural ones? 
because culture does play, fortunately, unfortunately, a big role in how things work in Africa. One thing that comes immediately to mind is um, it may or may not be that big of an issue, but I, I noticed is that, you know, there's some, there's a general cultural tendency for um, where young people that are seen as too audacious are kind of presented or not as embraced in a in sub, subset of society, at least I can speak in Ghana. Um, there's this current kind of idea of like deference to, to, to old heads, like, you know, and once young people come with a fresh idea that's challenged by older generations, it, it, it becomes a, a problem. Another hindrance you could say is, I mean, we're talking about youth entrepreneurship now. Ellie, you mentioned earlier that 90%-ish of, I don't know if you were saying in Ghana or, or in Africa, 90% of population in Ghana are 55 or so and below. Yet majority of the leaders are 60 and up. So <laughs> there's a disconnect. So it's an, and these leaders are the policy makers, you see. And uh, so clearly you see where there's a tension, where the policy makers who are more or less dictating the tone of the society slash culture, uh, their viewpoints are not necessarily aligned with um, the ways of doing things here. You have some of the most vi vibrant and encouraging artists to come out of Africa. And they might have hairstyles that some of our uncles and aunties might consider repulsive, which is such a trivial thing. But I mean, it seems so trivial and so small, but yeah. in a sense, it is, it is a hindrance. <laughs> I mean, Ellie, for instance, with your immaculate dreads, would be shunned in certain subsets <laughs> of, of, of our society. You see, so I mean, it's, it's not to dwell on things like hairstyles, but I mean, there are certain, certain minute cultural aspects that... that are holding our young people here from truly, truly shining. I'm glad you brought up hairstyles because it's, it's, I think it's representative of that yeah, bigger problem of that there's a culture of like always watching what the next person is thinking and using that to determine like how, how you do things. And that thing usually, like the, the hierarchy usually is from top down. So if the, as you said, if the old heads think something is wrong, then you, you can't get a job or you can't, you know, all, all of these things that are supposed to be you know very very trivial and it has a long last a long effect a very powerful effect actually because you have to work with these people you need you need the support of the the the, the old heads to really make it far most of the, the yeah. entrepreneurs in yeah in western countries that go really far were supported by the old heads in that that area but if if your ideas are not particularly embraced sometimes they might not even just believe in the methods you are using because they, they don't have a full understanding of how it works or they might consider it alien to the culture in africa where while people don't realize that culture is not a static thing it's dynamic it's fluid but some people yeah. get hung on to certain things that they say oh no it's not our culture mm -hmm. but what is culture if not fluid it's a culture changes like anytime at every second culture is different so i mean the cultural hindrances might be the dogmatic parts of culture to be honest if you ask me yeah, I totally, I totally agree. You know, there's so many situations like, you know, in, for example, Nigeria as well, like you might have a great idea, but if you're not backed by the government, you know, it's like, it's so hard for you to execute that a bit different, but I don't know if you guys know about these boys. They're basically, they're called the Ikorodu boys. And there are these like boys, I think they're about 10, their ages like 10 to 17. And they basically make these, these great videos 
with such low, low quality equipment, but you just see the passion, you see the creativity. They essentially remade this movie. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it has Chris Hemsworth in it. And they tagged him, they tagged the movie and they actually reposted their video. And basically the whole world found out about them. And, you know, it just shows you the lack of like support the Nigerian government has about the creative, creative world really and truly. And it's really disheartening because Netflix was actually the organization that actually sent them world-class, high-quality films, production, all of that kind of stuff so they can actually make high-quality films. And that's just like one example of like yeah, I, the disconnect right now. Yeah. I so that it, it was bittersweet because on the, on the plus side, it's mm. like, hey, they, they finally have great equipment now. But I'm here like, I'm yes. telling a whole Nigeria Nigeria. Netflix right. to come and give these right. guys Netflix a, America it just, it just exactly epitomizes like the lack of support for brilliant ideas and I'm not yes, sure why. For creativity. I don't know mm -hmm. maybe if we dwell on this enough we even end up in the conversation regarding corruption and how that alone is a hindrance to youth youth uh, entrepreneurial support but there are certain Fully. aspects of, of of the place that we are in that prevents young entrepreneurs from really getting it that are yeah. almost out of control it's, it's very yeah. sad i mean you're looking at you're look, you're talking about a country that's underdeveloped and has corrupt leaders across the continent the priority of corrupt leaders is not how to support entrepreneurs it's like it, it really isn't so i don't know it's a it's a loaded question when you when you try to think about the hindrances to entrepreneurial success in africa it's a very loaded question because even the funding question could also be uh, go right back to the corruption aspect of things. So I don't know. So what you have now is young people like literally scrapping, it's like bootstrapping themselves to get every single morsel of resources to do what they are doing. So being being an entrepreneur in Africa, a young entrepreneur in Africa is an extreme sport. It's, it's not for the faint-hearted because it so really is for survival. Are, yeah, there are so many systems that are working against you. But the, the hope I feel is that once we shine more light on these things and maybe once leaders become more aware that the youth really are the future, maybe some interventions could be introduced to make it more conducive for entrepreneurs. Yeah, William, I uh, absolutely agree with what you're saying. Um, but we should, however, understand that you know, these are still developing countries. And from what I, I know about nation, nation building is we all have to be involved in the nation building aspect of things, like especially at this point. Yeah, we can rely on government or want to rely on government, but fact is they're inherently inefficient, right? especially for this kind of country, uh, these kind of countries. You did mention corruption, which is a big, big issue as well. Um, obviously that's for a whole separate conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying. And I do also want to highlight one other thing um, that probably most profoundly affects young people in these countries, and that's ageism. And although ageism works on, on both sides of the spectrum, uh, for, for cases like this in entrepreneurship, it disadvantages young people more. Young people are seen as, oh, too young, too inexperienced, uh, not bringing much to the table, and culturally, you know, mm. they're not even allowed to be speaking in the same room as like adults or like older heads who feel like, oh, they've they've had all the experience and knowledge and whatnot. And uh, at Very Temporary, we wrote an article um, entitled, Your Prejudice is Failing Us, uh, by this brilliant young entrepreneur. He's, he's what, still a teenager. And his name is Damon Nose. 
And he wrote this article um, sort of explaining or highlighting the cultural issues, like we're explaining here, that affect Ghanaian youth. And it's, it's very profound. And one of the things I got from it is like older people think they run the ship. Um, there's a quote that says older people don't run the show, right? They don't, they're not the, the owners of the vehicle. They're just boring it for the younger generation, right? And that's an analogy for the country they're in. They seem to, you know, have this sense of ownership. Oh, this is our country. Yeah, we, we took the, the country out of independence. You did it for, your, for, for the younger generation. So I think they have to mm-hmm. have a, a switch of mindset to understand that, oh, they're just uh, holding it right now. It's, it's borrowed. And then they're going to leave it for the youth. And when the youth gets to that stage too, they understand that it's also borrowed and they're going to you know, keep passing it, uh, the mantle down. One reason that's so necessary and important is the world of these older generations is much different from ours in the sense that we are more or less growing up in the internet age, um, in this age of more progressive ideas. It's just a completely, completely, the world of 20 years ago, even just 20 years ago, is very different from the world of today. So it's, it seems like um, it doesn't seem to make sense to assume that these older generations will be better equipped to solve the problems of today when they don't necessarily, they are not necessarily in tune with the methods of, of the now. So, but that's a realization that is, seems to be lost on them. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I've met some very sharp old people who will give any young person a run for their money. But those young people, interested, those old uh, people, interestingly enough, work very closely with young people and involve them in their their, their thought, thought generation process to say that you cannot really solve the problems of today without at least at least involving the actual young people of today. And, and that's something that I don't see happening at the moment, but I think young people are now starting to try and grab that power for themselves because I don't, I don't know if it will be handed on a silver platter to young people. Because mind you, majority of the decisions made and uh, are going to end up being, you know, felt by us who are going to inherit the, the Africa of, of tomorrow, so to speak, till it gets to a point where we have to hand over the reins to the next generation and so on and so on. But African leaders of today and African older, older individuals of today, older African individuals of today seem to be clinging on a little too longer than their time. Maybe that's too much of a harsh generalization, but I truly feel that more younger people should be in rooms, uh, in conversations, in very powerful, high-level conversations, because there are some brilliant ideas that they could add. And um, after all, we are the ones going to inherit that world that they are trying to design. So just uh, my two cents on that specific issue, because it is true. Um, the ageism is a thing, and um, young, more young people need to be in these conversations. I want to see more young people in uh, positions of power, um, but that's not to say young people have all the brilliant ideas because I've met some young people who have very toxic ideologies too. But at the very least, it's a world they are going to inherit. So it's, it's essentially their own responsibility. So I don't know, just, just tossing that in there. Yeah, definitely. Like ageism is such a huge factor right now and it always has been. And I think it's very interesting. Like the reason, like, what is the how? Like, how do we actually get more young people into these establishments that have been more structured? Because 
obviously with entrepreneurship, that's how the young, the youth right now are paving a way and really finding their voice and their control. But how do we get more people in power who are younger to have the, to have a voice? Because as someone, as a business owner, right, when I'm with my mom, right, and we're going to different meetings, you know, pitching new ideas, et cetera, we are received like, just this is my own personal like experience. We're received with obviously more respect, you know, because my mother, my mother is much older, is older than me, there's that. But if it was just me, probably going to the same meetings, you know, we're also, I'm also gonna put into the, another factor of also sexism, honestly, like being, de- dealing with ageism and sexism at the same time, running a business in Nigeria, it can be also very challenging as well. And I think that's something that's not really talked about as much, but there's a reason why there's not as many, you know, female-owned businesses that are really also like, obviously there are some that are doing really, that are very successful, but like, it's a really big problem as well. Ageism and on top of sexism. So yeah, I just wanted to say that. Good points you raised there, especially about um, the sort of like combination of an interplay of sexism and ageism. Um, that indeed seems like a clusterfuck. Um, and yeah. obviously adding to the <laughs> level of complexity of an already complex market. Um, so having said that, leads to the next question. What is the responsibility of the older, older generation in empowering the youth? Mm-hmm. And anyone can take the floor. Like, I, I wish I could just tell them to listen. Right, because I, 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 even like what Dollar was saying about the sexism and the ageism is pretty important because I think we, we make a lot of decisions currently still based on like biases and our how we personally feel about something as opposed to having like structured system that maybe ensure that anyone who comes here regardless of their gender or you know age maybe is, can potentially find a loan at the end of you know at the end of their meeting here I, I wish really i could tell them to listen but if they currently hold the power and they're not willing to listen then it's very difficult to to, to have this conversation like I, i'm fortunate for example to like have a mother who is very willing to like listen to young people right and because she even deals with women and children's health a lot and it's very obvious to me as soon as i'm not talking to my mother when i when i'm in Ghana and i'm talking to to older people and even she as an older person will tell me oh no that that's how it should be you know respect them don't do anything your time will come right and <laughs> I, I don't know yet <laughs> our, our time has come <laughs> that's <Right>? it <laughs> our right? time has come it's a fine it. line it's a fine line of respect and just not change nothing will change if it's up if we're all saying respect 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 like I mean, there's a fine line. I mean, don't get me wrong. No one is trying to talk about disrespecting adults here. Come on. I mean, respect should be given regardless of age, quite frank. That should be your starting point, treating everyone with dignity and respect. So I don't know how that gets. I don't think deference to someone just because they are older is a sign of respect. It might be a sign of fear or just voluntary subordination, but it's not necessarily a sign of respect respect um and it's if it's a matter of respect then maybe the older generation should perhaps have more faith and trust and respect in the younger generation i mean like why yes. are you so why are you so fearful of what we would do you raised us so i mean <laughs> are, you, are you projecting something if not then let us do what we can do like what is the responsibility of the older generation empowering the youth creating a conducive environment for the brilliant ideas that the youth possess to shine and coaching them along the way. I think the response, don't get me wrong, we're not trying to have 
older generations out of the picture. I I yeah. deal with I deal with adults in, in, in my line of work. And honestly, the the, the the wisdom that they can pass on is invaluable. I mean the, the the experience that is condensed that you might be able to absorb in just a five minute conversation with someone who's older is priceless. So they are definitely a very valuable part of even the success of young people. So I don't even think it's as easy as saying older people should get out of the way. No, 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 no. We want them around. We love their insight. Mm -hmm. But perhaps having more faith and trust and willing to take a leap of faith on behalf of the younger individuals and just prioritizing the youth more in their decision-making process, um, that's directly to perhaps the leaders, that statement in particular directly to the leaders you have a responsibility to make sure that the, the world that the young people are inheriting is one of substance and one of opportunity and one of promise and um that's the responsibility of the older generation if you ask me making a more conducive environment for the young people to thrive and shine Dola, what do you think about uh, the older generation lending a, a helping hand in this case Definitely. So I wanted to make it clear, like when I meant respect, I meant more of like, I don't know how about it is in Ghana, but in Nigeria, if you have a point that might be different than someone who's older than you, there's a level of, oh, you're being disrespectful. My way is the right way, etc. And like that in itself, just I feel like that needs to change. That mindset needs to change. I would love to see more collaboration. You know, I think it's also based on like how we are actually raised too. If you think about in the Western world, you see a, a person, they're like, they turn 18, some of them go start their lives. There's this level of disattachment. But I also think it comes back to the fact of like, you know, in an African household, there's that like closeness with your parents, et cetera, that also stems in the workplace as well, because, you know, African parents are really very nurturing and they sometimes might just be seen, you know, the younger generation as, okay, they're just going to be young forever. But no, we're actually growing up and we need to have more of a voice and more of like respect and more understanding and more collaboration. So I'm in agreement with everything. I think social economic, social factors really do push a play into like how sometimes it can be challenging working with people who like the older generation and trying to get your point out across without being seen as, Oh, you're a young person. This is just an idea you got, you know, when you were abroad and you know this is how it's done here like yeah. no yeah I, I, when, when it's funny when people say this is how it's done here i'm like well here looks very underdeveloped so clearly something <laughs> it's still changed. nothing's changed and exactly yeah yeah so i mean it's, it's you can't expect to be applying the same methods and expect some very positive impactful change and dora what you said definitely applies in ghana here it's certainly true. There's there's a general assumption that one must be fair to older people, regardless of their um, the quality of the idea of that older person. And I think that's not sustainable. The the most brilliant idea should shine, even if it comes from someone younger than us who is who are having this conversation. The most the, one one must I just, agree. The, the most brilliant idea should shine. I love even talking to people who are younger than us because they have even more brilliant ideas than us sometimes. And I'm like, listen, they should be leading the conversation. <laughs> you know, whoever has the most brilliant idea objectively and also perhaps whoever has the most stake in the outcome of the idea. I mean, the older, older generation making a lot of the longer term decisions are not going to live to experience those. So it kind of seems counterintuitive that the onus of responsibility of all of making those decisions is on them. 
I think it should perhaps be on those who are going to experience and and um, suffer from or enjoy the consequences of those decisions. Honestly, I couldn't agree more with what you've all said, like in the past few minutes. And I think there's also maybe the responsibility on us, like those who can do it should do it, right? Because I think that's um, respect by association because it's already starting to happen. This new audacity that we are talking about, I think this new wave of me being able to have, you know, 28-year-olds, 35-year-old people that I can look up to and be like, yo, that person really disrupted things, right? That person really changed things. Gives me some confidence that I can also do something when I get, you know, whenever, maybe now, right? And so I think for us who can do it, we should lean more to, yes, let's do it, you know? Absolutely. So agree. Lead by example. Exactly. Absolutely. And I uh, I just also love the whole, like, era of, like, Pan-Africanism that's happening and, you know, empowering, if you will, these young African, you know, future leaders. Uh, you know, the culture being exported more, the internet making things smaller and making us collaborate more. It's wonderful. Um, it's a contributing also to the kind of audacity you, you see and the audacity we talk about on the, on the African continent. And so having said that, what does the next 10 years look like for millennials and post-millennials in Africa? Hmm. Well, maybe we can start with what we hope it looks like because it's hard to predict in such uncertain times. But one would hope that 10 years from now, um, millennials and post-millennials live in a world that has more where in a world where Africans can be more confident in themselves and in their continent. A world where Africans have developed African solutions to African problems. A world where young, young ideas are allowed to survive and young voices are amplified if indeed they contain wisdom. We want a world where the ideas of young people are given a chance, really, because I think they have the most at stake in terms of the outcomes of Africa and what Africa is going to look like. We stand to enjoy or suffer from whatever happens. So perhaps over the ten, next 10 years, we'd give it more of a chance to have a say in how things go. Well, one thing I'm also hoping for is globally competitive African entrepreneurs. It's, it's one thing that I think that there's not enough of. We are, we are starting to see a, more of it with like our music and our art, but it's still not enough. And for a lot of these people who eventually really want to break into being international, they have to side with some, you know, Western uh, mm -hmm. uh, agency or something of the sort. Yeah. To be able to have that global competitiveness, you know, being grown in Africa, right, is, is, is my dream. Same sentiments. Um, as me and William, I would say I would love just to see the young young people in Africa just to be given a chance and an opportunity. I want to see more establishments that are made in Africa for Africans, but can be catered to the rest of the world instead of vice versa. I see that it's slowly happening. And I feel that in the next 10 years or so, aside just from like entertainment and culture, we'll be able to really just like go in all different sectors and really, you know, make a change for the better. Another thing awesome. also is I hope 10 years from now, Africans will be fully in charge of telling the story of Africans 
Um, yeah. Because now it's it's the, the the history books of Africa are written by Europeans, and exactly. that's that that cannot sit right with my spirit. So I'm just hoping with me more ten years from now, Africans will be more in control of their destiny, in control of their history, in control of the narratives surrounding them, and also be a, a, a force for good in the world. That's what I'm hoping for Africans. It's, 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 Africa is the last frontier for any significant development, and it would be a shame if we don't command that, that, that development. Indigenous Africans don't command that development. While, of course, still embracing um, um, non-Africans and any, anyone from any part of the world. But, of course, the idea is to control the narrative, but still embrace other ideas and other people. That's awesome. And piggybacking off what you're, you're saying, William, um, I do... I do... 100% believe that we have to start writing our own, own history or rather telling our own history, not just like consuming the history that's been, you know, written out and told about Africa by other people. Um, so I'm going to make a prediction. In the next 10 years, I think once the older heads start to phase out, you know, start to give up roles to the younger generation, the more aware generation, you know, the internet age generation, I think we'll start to see um, our history for what it is, what it really is, we start to see our power as the breadbasket of the world, and rightly so. And we start to hold these Western powers and even now Eastern powers accountable. Start to make demands on our terms, and we start to demand for them to sort of undo or unwrite all the land and resources that has been sold to them foolishly. By the older generation i hope this prediction is correct and i hope it comes to pass because that would be fucking amazing i'm so glad you brought that up ellie as we wrap up because that's one thing i'm very passionate about that about because one reason i'm i'm so supportive of literally every entrepreneurial activity that any african i see getting go and going for is because in the sectors that i work in i'm i'm, I'm, I'm directly in industry and manufacturing I see a lot of the ownership being kind of in foreign hands. And um, of course, you know, globalization, benevolent globalization, but there's some harmful long-term effects. I'm, I'm a, I love globalization. I think in general, it's a great thing, but I think it's only great when those, the indigenous people also have a firm say in what's going on. If not, then it's just neo-colonization. So um, um, I support every African being entrepreneur because it's a big part of controlling the narrative, making the things that the Africans use and uh, being proud of that. So I hope what you're saying also comes to pass. We will we'll certainly do what we need to do to make it come to pass. But the general idea is that there, there, there have been so many wrongs that need to be corrected. And I think if young people are given the chance to, first of all, even highlight these issues, and then subsequently being given a chance to 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 correct them. Africa could be a very special place ten years from now. And I think the dignity of Africans and Black people globally will be restored through this. So let's hope it comes to pass, and let's do what we 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 need to do to make sure it happens. Definitely, I have a I have a further question actually. In terms of taking back basically what is ours, do you think basically with what's happening right now? in America with African-Americans, you know, basically reclaiming the time, their property, and just being like, you know, this is where we are, this is who we have always been, and 
we're not going to be quiet about it. Do you feel like something similar like that could maybe happen in Africa in the next 10 years or so with all the lands, equipment, everything that's basically been, you know, not ours for so long? Some part of me thinks it's inevitable, really. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, what w- what do you think would happen if over the next ten years, majority of the wealth is is goes into um, foreign hands and multinationals, and as time and time goes on, Africans start to wake yeah. up and realize that wow, we don't own anything here. I don't think exactly. that's a recipe for for peaceful affairs. No, it would definitely inspire yeah. some kind of reaction. Some kind that, of pro- that, yeah, exactly, some kind of protest, some kind of reaction. Because, yeah, I mean. Come on. It's just a more benevolent and sneaky way to, to recolonize. <laughs> you know, you come Literally. to Ghana, for instance. Yeah, you come to Ghana, for instance, and I'm in the, I'm in the mix of this because I work in manufacturing. So yeah. many of the things that are, are in Ghana here are not really owned by Africans. Same <laughs> here. Like Same here. 70%, 70% of the thriving businesses aren't owned mm-hmm. by Africans. It's attached to... I, Exactly. Yeah. I know this because I'm friends, with, I'm friends with the owners, and they're not. They don't look like me. Yeah, exactly. So, and I mean, that's a, said, that's a problem. Yeah. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. I should be able to go to the UK and start a business, even though I'm not from the UK. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you go to and the be UK, as successful, but you won't. Yes, be. there's nothing wrong with that. But but the thing is, if you go to the UK or you go to America, go to America. The majority of wealth is still controlled by the people who are from there. Those yeah. foreigners are not holding majority of the wealth. Here you have the flip side, where more of the wealth and resources is being controlled by people who aren't from here. And I don't think that's a recipe for 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 peaceful for affairs. For growth and progress. Yeah. Exactly. It's not sustainable. And once Africans start waking up, something will need to be done about it. But to kind of avoid them fully taking over, I think. Africans also just need to solve the problems for themselves because all these yes. foreigners are doing is coming here, recognizing the problem that needs to be solved and solving it. You almost can't even blame them. It and reaping the benefits. Exactly, exactly. It's, yeah. it, they, are, they are pretty much just being entrepreneurs in the global market. And yeah. they should be allowed to, just as I should be allowed to have a startup in, in the US. But, but, and this is the big but, sending critical resources, I feel, should always be controlled by by Africans. Africans. I saw I this article recently where it says I think uh, uh, a coalition of Chinese and Spanish uh, um, companies are are have presented the biggest the best bid for a dam in Congo or something. So like all of a sudden you're going to have <laughs> the, the biggest dam in 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 Congo or I forget which country it was being owned by Chinese and such a critical resource. Yeah. Yep, and it's. I don't think. I don't know. It it doesn't sit. It doesn't sit right with me, and I don't think it will sit right with Africans ten years from now. Yeah, and honestly, so let, mm-hmm. if I can give one more perspective, like a, te- a more tech related perspective of why, like, there's really a race against time, and we need to do that as quickly as possible. So even when we think of things like Facebook and Google, right? So these are commodities that is hard to reinvent from scratch, right? And mm-hmm. we like Facebook like this is free, but people who use it as a resource, right? They're giving away their attention to, for Facebook to make money through, you know, ads and stuff, of, you know, stuff like that. And we don't ever benefit or we, we hardly benefit, right? Maybe we benefit from a little of being able to advertise and stuff like that. But most of our data is gotten from, is, is, is taken to America or wherever, 
you know these companies are based we we don't really benefit we lose time in terms of attention and a lot of these things and we we need to find a way to be able to funnel some of these gains back to africans themselves right and so there, there's so many pers- we, we need to even start this global you know because we've already sort of met, globalization has already happened in some sense right so Mm-hmm. The conversation needs to become global yeah. about how Africans can really own their lives because exactly. there are futures where yes. it may be just controlled by, you know, uh, uh, our data. And, you know, Yvonne Wahari makes a, a perfect point about that because he talks about how if right now with all the data people have, y- your whole life can be controlled by algorithms. And... Africa is in a state where we are very vulnerable to 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 problems like that. So with the EU, they have so many sanctions, so many like regulations against like Google and these big companies to keep their population safe. But that conversation doesn't happen in Africa, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know why? Because there are not many tech savvy people in the room. Ah, <laughs> but true. true. Another another thing about you know the whole resurgence uh, against stolen land and properties, even simple things like. African art that is like in British museums and stuff. Yes. Oh, like I love that you said this. This Asante King's stool. I'm like, okay, how did you think he got there? Like we've just, we have turned a blind eye to, to so many things. And I think as more and more Africans become aware of all these wrongs, there'll be a strong will to 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 kind of correct that. And I think certain, certain, certain powers are kind of scared of that, which is why the, the idea of Africans unifying and you know, realizing that we're all one is such a scary idea to some Westerners because it's like they know <laughs> they, they know how how much of a powerful force a united Africa or united Africans could be. So um, I just think if they know, we should know even more, and we should strive to unite and and look look more towards our own interests and try to develop ourselves to be sustainable to to be a sustainable um, land where we don't necessarily rely on on the west everything like i said i love globalization i want to be able to like me having a croissant in ghana is globalization and i love croissants so like <laughs> <laughs> let's not make that, it end <laughs> yeah let's not make that end but like i would love to go to like a cafe owned by a Ghanaian where i can get those croissants <laughs> that kind of like kind of highlights the point i'm trying to make i want it i want it to be like as to control the narrative bizarre like because it's very necessary. If not, and people start yeah. feeling like we're losing control of the narrative, it's not sustainable. So more power to all African entrepreneurs. Get it, get it, shine, tell your story, get a piece of the pie, and let's go. I also think more, there needs to be more collaboration and work between countries as well, African countries. And I know it's been difficult, but I don't know if you guys, I've been doing some research about inter-trading in Africa what that was established, I believe, by the African Union. And before Corona, there, it was actually about to be, like, signed, where it's really challenging sometimes getting, like, importations between African countries. And I feel that when stuff like that keeps on going, those kind of policies are more approved and accepted, that will also help, like, African African countries together need to really work more together because that will then help really the African voice and the African entrepreneurial spirits really get elevated. Yeah, a, a powerful thing that could 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 spur that change is, you know, I I, I think that's what you were referring to. But the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, 
was supposed there to take effect July 1st because of Corona. Yeah. And mm-hmm. COVID is, it's been pushed, but it's going to be launched January 1st. So essentially January 1st, there'll be duty-free trade across Africa. And that's huge. And, and that's, a, that's a huge thing. And uh, um, shout out to Ghana because Ghana will be hosting the free trade secretariat, which I think is a huge deal. Um, and it will be hosted in Ghana. And things like this are going to set the ball rolling on intra-Africa trade. But you exactly. know, like I said, that could also benefit the multinational company that's set up here because they could send things to Nigeria duty free. So it's it's yeah. it to just amplify the trade in the country or in the continent, I should say. But my whole thing here is I just want more ownership of the narrative by Africans. In in addition to non-Africans, but I think Africans should be the majority. In that so yeah, Ellie, to to add to respond to that prompt, I will think I do think there will definitely be a resurgence against quote unquote stolen land and property. I I saw I saw this, uh, an article today actually. I think it was some in Burundi. Someone mentioned that they are trying to get colonial powers to repay for <laughs> some. I don't know. It's just a different take on the whole reparations conversation, which African um, African Americans are, are are having in in in. But that that's a whole different conversation. But long story short, yes, I think there is already a resurgence against some of the stolen land and property by uh, by Africans, and I think it's only going to accelerate as we learn more and more about our history and realize all the transgressions that we have suffered and vow to kind of correct all those things. Then naturally, this resurgence will just heighten. That's awesome, and hopefully, the predictions we've made. Um, in this episode, especially regarding Africans, you know, sort of waking up and, you know, demanding more and holding people accountable will come to pass. Um, I'm excited to see the agreements going into effect on January 1st. And I think that that will be a new era in in African business. Uh, for now, uh, let me summarize and then we can conclude if anyone else would like to say anything at the end, we'll do so. Uh, but in this conversation, I think we've spoken about the hindrances and pros and cons of um, African youth doing business on the continent. Um, some of the hindrances we spoke about were capital markets, qualified human capital, capital resources and facilities in the country like utility and all that stuff. We talked we talk about the, the pros uh, like collaboration of, of African business owners to get things done. We talked about the exposure and the help of the internet, having an innovative approach to to solving uh, business issues or getting businesses off the ground. The fact that there are hurdles doesn't mean that businesses will not work. It just means that you're more creative. And that is a testament to a successful business owner in Africa. Uh, we talked about trickle-up innovation versus trickle-down innovation. We talked about the wave of Pan-Africanism. We talked about ineffective government and corruption leading to some of the hurdles. We talked about ageism as a cultural hindrance, sexism as well, um, adding a level of complexity to all of that. Um, we talked more about uh, adults helping uh, young people to be in positions of power. We talked about them listening to young people's ideas and putting them in high level decision-making processes. And we predicted that the next 10 years we'll see Africans, young Africans become more aware 
and demand more from those who need to be held accountable for our piece of the cake, which is our cake to begin with. Uh, and I'm going to really uh, quickly conclude with this. Um, any young African listening to this, this is your land. This is your time. You're part of perhaps one of the greatest generations on the face of the continent. You're more aware, you're more informed, and you should understand that the older, older generation or anyone else who's, who's trying to tell you a certain story or history, eh, take it as you've taken other information, but take it with a grain of salt. Um, at the end of the day, use all the, the, the knowledge and resources you have because knowledge is power to make that decision. If you see something that smells, or if you see something that's wrong or something that smells fishy, speak up against it, collaborate with each other because you guys, we, are more powerful than we think we are. At the end of the day, this is our land, young African. So, you know, just looking forward to the next few years, the next few decades with you guys. And, you know, thank you for listening to this. If anyone else wants to conclude with something, feel free. Those were very wise um, words, Eli Kim. And very wise words. So, Dola, I would like to I would like to thank you very much for joining us today. You had some really insightful perspectives on entrepreneurship and the audacity of youth. Where would people who'd like to find out more about this or like to find out more about Irawu Studio and how you are contributing to the African story and how they can potentially support it? Thank you, Ni. It's really been a pleasure. It's really been great conversations with the three of you. So you can follow my business's new journey as we're currently rebranding on Instagram and Facebook. Irawo Studio, and I can be also personally reached on my personal brand on Instagram, which is called Dose of Dollar. I've had such a great time with the three of you. It's really been a very riveting conversation. Awesome. One thing I'd want to just say is, um, as young Africans, it's time we reclaim a narrative, support each other. Um, if you see someone engaging in an entrepreneurial activity, the least you can do is support. Um, support indigenous businesses, support black-owned businesses, reclaim your narrative, be bold enough to call out those who need to be called out and demand accountability from those who it needs to be demanded from. Believe in yourself, unite, because we really are all one people. All these boundaries were decided by Europeans in a conference in Berlin. It had nothing to do with us. We're really all just one people. But considering the circumstances, we all need to do our best to reclaim our narrative and learn more about our true history and develop a certain sense of dignity that will enable us to, to, to walk with our chest up high as Africans because it really is something to be proud of. But more immediately, I'd say, solve um, African problems for ourselves and not wait for outsiders to come and solve it and hijack the whole narrative because we'd be doing ourselves and our forefathers and foremothers a great disservice. So unite, support each other, and um, yeah, let's all let's all reclaim the narrative. So I want to just give some advice to you know any new any young person who wants to start a business. I honestly would say the first step is really just to do your research, learn about your market, and also really just speak to people who have either done something similar or have expertise. Having mentors and really learning from the older generation because. They have expertise in this and really just starting like there's no other perfect day to start your dream or even just execute it than the day that is present. So, yeah, starting is the hardest part. And then you just basically learn 
as you're going with your journey. And I wish you all the luck. Awesome. And so again, thank you, Dola. Thank you for everyone else on this podcast. I think we found common ground on a lot of issues here and a lot of topics for discussion. And so until the next time, stay safe, y'all. So guys, if you like this episode, like and subscribe. And we're always open to new um, topic ideas. So send them over. You can email info at verytemporary.org with any ideas or conversation subjects. If you want to be a guest on the show, you have some expertise or knowledge that you think will add to any potential topic, hit us up as well. And um, it was a pleasure having you guys hear us out. And we'll talk again soon.